We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome into a special weekend edition of the LakersNation.com podcast. I'm Trevor Lane. You can find me on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane over on Instagram at Trevor Lane NBA. We've got a ton to get into today. The Lakers do take on the Detroit Pistons later on this afternoon. We'll see if the Lakers can finish the road trip 500 if they can pick up a win over Detroit. Sounds like LeBron James and Anthony Davis will go for this one. Both of them listed as probable. So that is a good sign. But we've got a few news topics to get into first. Then I need to get into some questions and comments from the fans coming out of the previous loss to the Philadelphia 76ers, an overtime loss that didn't sit well with Lakers fans for a number of reasons. But first, let's talk a little bit about the trade from. We know December 15th is getting that much closer. We know that it's going to be an important date. It's usually when trade talks pick up. Doesn't mean something is happening that day. Just means more players will hit the trade market. A lot of the guys who signed deals last summer will become trade eligible. So, of course, trades are going to become a bigger part of the discussion this time of year. Kyle Kuzma is a name that's been out there, a, a guy that the Lakers saw just a few games ago against the Washington Wizards. And, well, it's ironic, but he would actually be a great fit. I know the Lakers just had him on their roster not that long ago, sent him away in the Russell Westbrook trade. We always assume that, well, the Lakers, if they trade away Kyle Kuzma, they're going to go get someone else to fill that role, right? No, guess not. They've been deciding they just don't need wings with size and three-point shooting ability. Now Kyle Kuzma could be out there on the trade market. According to Eric Pincus, a Bleacher Report, an NBA source told him that Kyle Kuzma wants out of Washington, would like to get to a championship contender, would like to get to a bigger market. Now Kuzma did have some comments the other day where he talked about not playing behind LeBron and AD anymore and the benefit of that didn't sound like somebody who is itching to return to LA but nonetheless I still think the Lakers could be an interesting landing spot and Pincus does mention the Lakers could have interest in him but here's the challenge look the Lakers what they need it's clear it's size on the wings I'm going to get into that in just a minute when we take a look at the Lakers minutes distribution that we saw in the overtime loss to the 76ers it's quite troubling but Kyle Kuzma would give you the size that you're looking for on the wing, give you some shooting ability, give you some playmaking, switchability on the defensive end, checks a lot of boxes for what the Lakers are looking for. Here's the problem, though. Everybody else is looking for, for that, too. The Phoenix Suns, New York Knicks, also teams that would be interested in Kuzma, and I'm sure the list would be much longer than that should he actually hit the market. Another complicating factor, he can be a free agent this summer, which means there is a little bit of a flight risk there where if you go trade for Kyle Kuzma, there's the potential that he just walks away next summer, gets a bigger offer somewhere else, probably looking for something north of $20 million. And given the value of wings in this league, I would be surprised if he doesn't get that number. So 
Kyle Kuzma could be a really interesting target for the Lakers, but won't be easy to get him. I think if the Wizards do ultimately put him out there on the trade market, if they decide, you know what, we're not going to be able to keep this guy next summer, or, or we just don't want to pay him what it is that he wants, I think they're going to have plenty of suitors. So the Lakers, if they want to bring Kyle Kuzma back, are going to have plenty of competition trying to do so. Now, another thing that Pincus mentioned was that the Lakers would have interest in both DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic from the Chicago Bulls. We've heard rumblings out of Chicago that they're probably not interested in trading those guys right now. Maybe something changes by the trade deadline. And that could be part of the problem here for the Lakers is you've got so many teams that are still in wait and see mode, whereas the Lakers, they're looking at the Western Conference and saying, let's do something right now. We've got upward mobility right now. If we can win some games, if we can improve this roster, we can really make a move. And the longer we wait, if we wait until February 9th to make a deal, well, that means the effects, the positive effects of making a trade are going to be that much more limited because you're going to have so much of the season gone already. So for the Lakers, it makes more sense to make a move as soon as possible, but a lot of other teams simply aren't ready to do that. If they want DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic, which I've talked about the pros and cons of that uh, on past shows, but if they want those two guys, Chicago probably isn't ready to pull the trigger just yet, and so then it becomes a waiting game, and for the Lakers, the longer you wait, the less time you have to move up in the standings in the Western Conference. So something to consider as we start moving into trade discussions and start talking about this more and more it's not just about what the trade is. It's about the timing of the trade and really what Lakers fans are looking for. There's a lot of boxes to check. You need big wings who can shoot, who can defend while everybody else in the NBA is looking for those things. You need a trade done sooner rather than later. You need to not get fleeced in a deal. That's another piece that Lakers fans are looking for. Don't lose the trade, right? That's been a problem for the Lakers, giving up a little bit too much value in trades, in free agent negotiations, all the moves along the margins. They've been doing things that top caliber organizations simply don't do. And so that's another thing. You can't lose the trade either. Again, a lot of boxes to check for these Lakers. You've got to find the pieces that you need. You got to find good players that can help you make a move right now. You want to do that move sooner rather than later. And you can't overpay either. That is a tall task for Rob Palenka in the Lakers front office. We'll see if they can pull it off. But I mentioned the Lakers and the situation with their minutes. I think this, this is why this team is still screaming for a trade. What I was saying back in July, you look at this roster, you look at the makeup of the roster. It is just absolutely clear as day. They need a trade so, so badly. And take a look at this. This is the Lakers minutes rotation. If you're listening to the podcast version of it, I'll go over this. But up on the screen, I've got the Lakers minutes from their overtime game against the Philadelphia 76ers, which was a loss. Anthony Davis, 36 minutes. He was in foul trouble. He was in foul trouble. Talked about it before the game. The officiating was going to be a, an issue during the game. Sure enough, unfortunately, it was. But Anthony Davis, 36 minutes played. LeBron James, 44 minutes. Patrick Beverly, 38 minutes. 38 minutes for Pat Bev. Wow, that's a lot. I didn't think he was terrible in that game, but that's a lot of minutes. Dennis Schroeder, 21. Lonnie Walker, 33. Troy Brown, 9. Thomas Bryant, 6. Russell Westbrook, 36. Austin Reeves, 41. So what that all comes down to is aside from a 15-minute stint between Troy Brown and Thomas Bryant, total, the two of them played 15 minutes, 6 for Bryant, 9 for Brown, the Lakers had a seven-man rotation, essentially against the 76ers. Now, the 76ers were actually pretty similar. They basically had a seven-man rotation as well. Clearly, they were going all out, trying to win that game. They were on a three-game losing streak. It was important for them to win that game. The Lakers were obviously going all out as well. But this is why we look at this team and we say, oh my gosh, this team 
needs a trade. Wenyan Gabriel being out certainly matters, but maybe some or all of Thomas Bryant's six minutes would have gone to Wenyan Gabriel. I can't say Wenyan would have come in and it would have become an eight-man or even a nine-man rotation or whatever. But if you look at this Lakers rotation, you've got Patrick Beverly, Dennis Schroeder, Lonnie Walker, Austin Reeves, Russell Westbrook. Five guys, five guys out of a essentially seven-man rotation that are guards. You've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and that's it. Those are your only non-guards, really, because when we look at Lonnie, he's 6'4". Yes, he can play on the wing a little bit because he's athletic. He is a guard-sized player. He's a shooting guard on a team that is properly structured. Austin Reeves, he's 6'5". Can you have him spend some time on the wing? Sure. But really, when you have a team that's properly put together, he's more of a two, maybe even a one. He's got ball handling skills. Did you see that ridiculous behind-the-back pass to Anthony Davis? That was Steve Nash-like. He's not necessarily a three. He's certainly not a four, which the Lakers have asked him to be multiple times this season when they're running out four guards and a big on the floor. So when you look at this and you see Troy Brown Jr., well, why is he only getting nine minutes when the Lakers are so desperately in need of wings? That's a head scratcher, but it just speaks to the Lakers not having the pieces that they need, having too many guards, and perhaps not trusting some of the wings they do have. Look, Juan Toscano Anderson is out hurt, but it's not like he was part of the rotation anyway. He wasn't getting a lot of minutes prior to getting injured. Damian Jones hasn't been part of the rotation. Kendrick Nunn was a DNP coach's decision, despite being one of the higher paid players on the team at $5.2 million. Max Christie got recalled from the G League, did not get any minutes either, despite being a wing player as well. So clearly, right or wrong, guys like Troy Brown, guys like Max Christie, they don't have the full trust of the coaching staff to get out there on the floor and help them win games in critical situations because they didn't play in this one. So when you're the Lakers and you're you're the front office and you're looking at this team, this is plain as day. You've got too many guards. You can't have a seven-man rotation and have five of them be guards. That just doesn't work. Again, Thomas Bryant got six minutes, and what happened in those six minutes? The Lakers got lit up at the rim. The 76ers just started attacking the basket to the point where LeBron had to play minutes at center after that because AD was in foul trouble. And the Lakers just said, you know what? This isn't working. Thomas Bryant is not the rim protector that we need out there. I'm not saying he's terrible, but clearly he's not getting the job done in terms of protecting the rim. He does some other things well. I'm not writing him off at all, but he's not a guy that's going to protect the rim for you when AD goes out. So opposing teams are attacking the basket and then compounding the problem. You're smaller at all the other positions. Again, Troy Brown Jr., who's got a little bit of size at 6'6", but really 6'6", that's a 2-3. The Lakers use him as a 3-4 because 6-6 is at least a little bit bigger than 6-4 Lonnie Walker, right, to, to slide over to the power forward position. But he's not getting that many minutes either. It's so clear how undersized this Lakers team is. They've got talent. They've got something here. Anthony Davis has been doing MVP caliber things. You've got to add some pieces to this team, and that has to start with some help on the wings. Once again, though, like I mentioned when I was talking about Kyle Kuzma, it's going to be easier said than done. A lot of teams are looking for help on the wings, but I thought that the minutes distribution in this game just made it so, so clear how poorly constructed this roster actually is. Now, even if the Lakers had come back and won that game, and they almost did, one Anthony Davis free throw away from winning that game, yes, we'd be feeling a little bit better if that was the situation. We'd be feeling a bit more positive, but still, still, this would be a problem when you look at the minutes distribution and you say, man, 
this team is screaming for some help on the wing and maybe some help at the center position as well if they're looking for another rim protector. All right, let's get into some fan questions and comments here. Most of these, well, they're coming after the Lakers lost to the 76ers in overtime. So not surprisingly, they're a little bit sour here, but let's let's get into this. Uh, John Robertson said, LeBron will not accept the fact that he's not the number one option anymore. He's becoming a liability. Now, LeBron has consistently said that he wanted AD to be the focal point on offense. It was one of the first things he said when Anthony Davis arrived in LA was that he wanted the offense to run through him. There's a difference between saying it and doing it though. And we certainly saw down the stretch and into overtime. I think Anthony Davis, he touched the ball. I'd have to go back and rewatch, which I don't think I'm going to put myself through that pain. But off the top of my head, I can only recall maybe one or two times where Anthony Davis touched the ball in overtime on the offensive side. That's not good. And if you want Anthony Davis to be the focal point on offense, that can't be the case. You can't have LeBron settling for three-point shots that aren't falling when Anthony Davis is not getting involved and is kind of getting frozen out on the offensive end. Now, I won't say that's necessarily intentional. The 76ers were doing some things defensively to try to deny the ball getting to AD. But nonetheless, well, if you're the Lakers, then you have to work on counters. You have to figure out ways to get him involved. You can't have your best player and just say, oh, he's out of the game essentially on the offensive side because we can't get him the ball. No, you can't just throw your hands up and say, oh, well, that's on LeBron. That's on Russell Westbrook. It's on the other guards. It's on the, the team. It's on the coaching staff to get AD involved, get him touches and let your best player get going because he is your best player right now. I don't think there's any debate there. Not saying LeBron is going to be bad every night. I would imagine he's not going to shoot one for eight from three most nights. He's going to shoot better than that. But this was a poor shooting night, and it came at a time when the Lakers needed him to just be at least average, right? I mean, if LeBron is an average three-point shooter on that night, the Lakers win this game. So I won't say LeBron's becoming a liability. I will say there is more inconsistency in his, in his game than we've seen in the past, and perhaps that is a, a symptom of, of aging. Mamba mentality, if we go 3-3, is that a bad or good road trip? I think if you told me heading into the road trip that the Lakers are going to go 500, I'd, I'd take it. I'd say that's good, right? Now, the 76ers loss certainly feels bad. Um, the Cavs loss felt bad because Anthony Davis was unable to play due to illness. He played eight minutes and was ineffective, wasn't you know, doing a whole lot out there because he had a 101 fever or whatever. Um but the 76ers loss feels bad because that was, it felt like a miraculous win, a come from behind win. There it was. You were all set to get, get it. And then you completely fall apart. I mean, can just completely collapse in overtime. So that's going to feel bad. And that's going to make it so that coming out of this, let's say they beat the Pistons this afternoon. If you do that, you're still not going to feel great about going 500 on the road trip because you're going to think about the one that got away against the 76ers. But nonetheless, if you went back and said at the beginning of the road trip, you're going to go 500, I think most of us would probably say, great, we'll, we'll take that, given the caliber of teams the Lakers were going to play against, especially if you said they're going to go 500 and you're going to be without Anthony Davis essentially for two games. I, I think I would take that if I was the Lakers and feel Pretty good about it. Again, got to get the win over the Pistons uh, this afternoon, though. These are these are the must-wins, right? The games that are put in front of you where if you go out there and you give your all and you give 100% and you're sharp and you give the game the focus and the attention that it deserves, you're going to win nine times out of ten. That's what this game is. And so the Lakers, a big piece of this is the mental side of this game today. I'll talk more about it when we do our official pregame. But 
the mental side is so important because the last game of a long road trip is typically a trap game uh, because players are looking ahead to getting back home. And of course, you know, around the holidays and everything that only uh, that feeling only grows. So it's going to be really important for the Lakers mentally to lock in to this game. Mikey said the Lakers energy on 50, 50 balls. The past few games has been non-existent It showed up late in the fourth and faded again in OT. The effort must be there. You know, it's not just effort. It's also a lack of size. That's causing them to get beat to some of these, particularly if the ball is in the air, if you have Russell Westbrook, Patrick Beverly and Dennis Schroeder on the floor, well, Russ is 6'3", Pat Bev and Schroeder are 6'1". That's, that's tough to get to any of those second balls. And when I talk about a second ball, I mean a ball where the shot goes up, the initial rebound, let's say it's AD vying for a rebound with the opposing big, maybe it's Joel Embiid, and nobody can secure it, or you get a wing that comes flying in, and they just tip it. And so it becomes a live ball still. Uh, if AD isn't getting that rebound, LeBron isn't getting that rebound because he's got size as well, and suddenly it's out for one of the three, sometimes four guards that are on the floor to try to get to, that ball is in the air. They're at a disadvantage most nights in that scenario. So that can create situations where we see a 50-50 ball, but that's not really what it is. There's not a 50% chance for the Lakers to get it when you've got so many small players on the floor. Now, conversely, if it's a ball on the ground, you can argue, okay, maybe Schroeder has a better shot at getting to it or, or whatever. But anything that's tipped into the air, the Lakers are going to be at a disadvantage. I won't say it's all effort. Although certainly what we saw in overtime was disappointing to say the least. Uh, LeBron needs to score more and drive to the rim more. This comment says score more. Sure. I think score more efficiently is, is accurate. Uh, LeBron needs to score more efficiently. I think LeBron, I think they need to be very cognizant of how many shots AD is getting up. He only had, I think 13 shots against the 76ers. That number has got to be higher. I think AD ranked fourth on the team. If I'm remembering correctly, in that game and shot attempts, that's got to be higher. It's got to be a priority to get him those looks. There was foul trouble in this game. Some of it, some of his shot attempts got taken away because he was fouled on the shot and didn't didn't get the and one. And so that that was a factor too. There were possessions that AD used where he just he didn't get credit for credited for a shot because he was fouled. So that's a factor as well. So I think that number seems is a little bit lower than it actually is if we went and looked at his usage. But the bottom line. Uh, LeBron does need to score more efficiently. There needs to be more of an effort in order to get AD going and then drive to the rim more. LeBron's been driving to the rim a lot this season, and yet he's not getting the whistles. He's just not. Um, it's frustrating. He's got to be extremely frustrated, but he was, I looked a few games ago, so this has probably shifted since then. But last I looked, he was one of the top guys in the NBA in terms of shots at the rim and was somewhere in the low 40s in free throw attempts. Okay, again, I haven't looked in the last few games, but that's about where that it just gives you an idea of how poorly he's been being officiated in terms of he's getting contact and he can't get to the line. Guys are Now, part of that is he's a little bit older. Guys are living with just contesting him at the rim. So I'm not saying he's getting fouled every single play. I think part of this is teams aren't as afraid of LeBron attacking the basket anymore. And so what they're doing is they're just playing him straight up. They're playing to not foul and trying to make him make that shot. I mean, we saw it in overtime. He blew a layup in overtime. So teams are now playing him more straight up and not just going up. Oh, well, the only thing we can do is foul him now, right? Like we see with Giannis sometimes. Teams aren't necessarily doing that to LeBron. So I think that's a factor here too. I'm not saying he's getting fouled every time, but there's also plays where he clearly gets fouled and can't get the call because he's just bigger, stronger, and 
guys tend to bounce off of him. You know, if you foul a Trey Young or uh, a guard like that, they're going to go flying because they weigh nothing. If it's LeBron, LeBron doesn't go flying. It's the, the Shaquille O'Neal phenomenon, right? So that's frustrating for him. And so it's not a surprise to me that he's taking the threes. Now, part of that can be age and athleticism and all of that starting to wane, perhaps. Um, the three-point shot becomes a bigger part of your game as you get older out of necessity. So that can be part of it. Um, but LeBron driving to the rim more, I agree. But at the same time, in his mind, he's got to be thinking, I'm driving to the rim and I can't get a call. And I can't, I can't get a whistle to blow. I'm not getting any respect there. Why do I keep driving and keep getting hit and not getting to the free throw line? Why should I do that? So I don't disagree with you. I think he does need to focus more on driving, occasionally shoot three, win it when the situation calls for it. But I can understand from his perspective why maybe he wouldn't do that quite as much, given the way the game's being officiated. Uh, Koa, Braun played bad, but let's not forget that he's having, he's almost 38. That's right. He'll be 38 at the end of this month. Uh, having to guard prime Embiid most of the game because of AD's foul trouble. Look at how gassed he was. That's a good point. You know, LeBron, Thomas Bryant was not effective. Um, the, the second he went in there, the uh, the 76ers were just attacking the rim like crazy, and the Lakers, they couldn't really do anything with him. So LeBron had to play a lot of center, and that meant defending Joel Embiid. That meant trying to keep him off the glass. That's physically taxing, and so I think that's a good point that we have to remember. It's not like LeBron was, you know, free to to defend a non-shooter or something like that he had a lot of possessions where he was having to do more than usual because anthony davis was in foul trouble we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, Katie said, what's going on with Troy Brown Jr.? Less than 10 minutes played. I mean, he hasn't been playing great lately. He hasn't been shooting the ball great. It hasn't been what we saw when he initially made his season debut where we started thinking, okay, this is a guy who can help you from behind the arc. He can defend multiple positions. This is great. This is what they need. It's it's a wing. And he was in the starting lineup for a while. But it feels like since getting demoted to the bench, he's I don't know if he's lost some confidence or if maybe he feels like he has to do more than in a limited amount of time or, or what it is. But um, he hasn't been quite as effective, but nonetheless, I would imagine it probably behooves the Lakers to try to help him play through that and come out the other side and start to find his rhythm again because they're so shallow at the wing position. I mean, they they need guys who can do something, who can just, if you can get Troy Brown Jr. just to be an average wing player, that's a big help to a Lakers team that basically doesn't have wing players. 
Um, if, if Troy Brown Jr. is not out there, they don't have much. They're using Lonnie as a as a wing, and he's six four. You're losing you're using Austin as a wing, and he's six five. You need a guy like Troy Brown Jr. to be part of this rotation and doing things for you. And so I'm a bit perplexed by only nine minutes for him as well. Now, I will say I thought Pat did some good things defending James Harden, and so I understand feeding him more minutes tonight uh, or the other night. And so that's possibly where some of the minutes for Pat came from, was from Troy Brown Jr.'s minutes. But in general, we've been seeing less of him. I would like to see that see that go the other way, and maybe it's going to take a breakout shooting performance for him to get those minutes. He really needs like a nice, I don't know, four for five game from three or something like that to kind of break him out of this slump. Jared says, trying to be unbiased, but name another team that's repped as poorly as the Lakers. Last three games, first thing I heard from commentators is a missed foul. Yeah, the Lakers have, you know, I, I'm, I struggle with that too, Jared. I struggle with, with trying to stay unbiased when it's the Lakers. It's much easier, obviously, for me to watch. If I'm watching the Knicks and the Orlando Magic, it's easy for me to watch it and be unbiased in that situation. It's not even Western Conference teams. I'm not, I'm not even in the back of my head thinking, oh, I want the West team to lose to help the Lakers or anything, right? So those types of matchups are easier to be unbiased. So I get it. I probably overreact to some ref stuff too. Um, where I see stuff that happens, I'm going to notice all the calls that go against the Lakers. Those are really going to stick out to me. I'm not going to notice as much the calls that go for the Lakers, right? So that can be a challenge in terms of defeating our own bias or at least understanding our own bias there. But all that being said, I felt like the Lakers have had a rough whistle this year. Um, a lot of that is is LeBron. And I already talked about that, so I don't want to rehash that too much. But uh, I do feel like the Lakers have had a rough time getting calls this year, the ones that they that they should be getting, and that's been a challenge for them. And a lot of that, again, is circling around uh, around LeBron James and his inability to get any respect at the rim. Uh, Panther said, I don't know why they don't give Jay Huff a second look. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I mean, if we're looking at this at right now, the Lakers have an open roster spot. Why not, right? And unless unless they've got some deal lined up and on December 15th, boom, deal's done. We're going to get a Woj bomb or something. You've got an open roster spot. The only thing it's going to cost you right now is money. And pretty clearly, I mean, Jay Huff at least could give you something in the middle. If, you are, if you've decided that Thomas Bryant simply can't protect the rim for you, Jay Huff is worth a look. I'm not saying he's going to be an elite level rim protector, but the dude's 7'1". He can shoot a bit from outside. Um, look, he can get moved off a little bit. He's not that. He's not strong enough. But we've also seen flashes from him where it's probably worth considering giving him a look. Um, in general, his skill set, the ability to shoot from outside while still providing some rim protection, isn't that what we were all so excited about with Miles Turner? Putting him next to AD? I don't, again, I'm not saying Jay Huff is the answer, but if you've got an open roster spot, it wouldn't hurt to give him a look. You've got an open roster spot right now. It'll be a non-guaranteed deal. You could wave him at any moment, right? If you sign Jay Huff today and tomorrow, a team calls you up and offers this amazing deal, but you've got to take on an extra player, it's a non-guaranteed deal. You, you just cut him after that. Send him back. It's no risk. Only thing you got to spend is money. Uh, by the way, the Miles Turner thing, Pincus mentioned in his piece that the Pacers uh, probably aren't going to look to trade Miles Turner now because they've been winning so many games. So I wonder if the ship has sailed on the Lakers and their ability to land Turner via trade. P 
Pacers were expected to be a tanking team. And I think that's why they were willing to do that deal uh, ahead of media day. But now that they're winning, they might just look to extend Miles Turner and keep him and go from there. Might have missed the boat on that one. Uh, Tylee said, hey, Trevor, advice for Darvin Ham when AD and Embiid are off the floor. You don't put LeBron at center. You put Thomas Bryant in. And also, why didn't he just go big with AD and Bryant or Jones? I'm, I think I would like to see more of the two big lineups, more where AD is officially the, the power forward, right? And if he's on the floor with Jones or Bryant, you could argue that. Now, Bryant would probably get the nod because of his ability to shoot the three. I also think he's just been playing better than Dam- Damian Jones has. I don't think that's any kind of debate here. Uh, as far as going to Thomas Bryant when Embiid is off the floor, yeah, that would give him a little bit more opportunity for success to go out there. But really, when AD's off the floor, if Embiid's on, you're just looking for anybody that can at least provide the size and defend Embiid a little bit. And I think that's what they were looking for in, in Thomas Bryant, but it, it was not working out. They wound up going to LeBron eventually. The, the 70, now, Embiid presents some unique challenges. You don't see a big like him every single night. Thank goodness. Um, if you were seeing more bigs like that, it would put that much more pressure on the Lakers to go and get a true backup center that can really protect the rim. Thomas Bryant isn't really that. He's not a, a high-level rim protector. Damian Jones, we were hoping, could be but hasn't been playing well enough to stay on the floor. So it would give you more incentive to go get somebody, whether it's a Yaka Pirtle, whether you eventually try to find something for Miles Turner or whoever it is, it would give you more incentive. But fortunately, you don't see Joel Embiid every single night. So I don't know how big of a, a, a priority that's going to be to get a center. But nonetheless, I understand the idea of, you know, hey, put Thomas Bryant in when the other center's not on the floor, let him build upon success, let him do some things against smaller players. That's fair, but I also think the Lakers were kind of trying to hope to use him specifically just to give AD some rest minutes. Didn't quite work out that way, though. Gary, uh, if the Lakers front office was not so cheap, we would have DeMar um, luxury tax. Look at F the luxury tax. Look at Golden State Warriors had a chip over tax. No need for a big get Cam, PJ, or Oubre or Vanderbilt. So you're talking about wing players, Cam Reddish, P.J. Washington, Kelly Oubre Jr., Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, Vanderbilt being more of a big. P.J. Washington also more. These guys are more fours than than wings. But nonetheless, you've got some wings in there too. I, I don't know if it was the it was ownership being cheap in terms of not getting DeMar DeRozan. I think there were there were some real reasons, both on court and off, for why you don't go do a deal for DeMar DeRozan. I don't think it was just a, a financial situation. I also think it had to do with the uh, hard cap and the benefit. Now, the Lakers, unfortunately, decided to not use this benefit, but by trading for Russell Westbrook, he wasn't a sign and trade. You didn't trigger a hard cap, which meant you could have spent, you could have kept Caruso, THT, whoever you wanted. There's no hard cap. Uh, you can go over the cap as much as you want to keep your own free agents. Trading for DeRozan would have been a sign and trade, which would have meant triggering a hard cap, which meant it would have meant you'd make a tough decision between Caruso, THT, and whatever. And, and in the moment, we thought, okay, well, they went and got Russ. There's concerns. Russ isn't a good off-ball guy. DeRozan's not a great off-ball guy either. Neither one's a great shooter, right? There's pros and cons there. But the big benefit for Russ was, okay, well, now they can keep Caruso and THT, and off they go. And then they said, no, thank you. They were given an advantage of you can keep all your guys. And they said, no, no, thanks. 
So if you want to criticize them for being cheap, it's more the Caruso situation that I look at than the DeRozan thing. Trading for DeRozan wasn't necessarily a cost issue. Um, it would have cost you Caruso and one of Caruso, maybe both of Caruso and THT, but you were going to lose at least one of them anyway by your own fault, by your own decision-making in going the, the Russell Westbrook route. And that's not what we thought was going to happen when they traded for Russell Westbrook. We thought, okay, so clearly they see the benefit of not triggering the hard cap and they're going to keep their guys. Um, and then they chose not to. And that, that's just poor decision-making that, that we saw there. Um, yeah, as far as the Golden State Warriors you know, valuing a chip over, over tax, sometimes you got to spend, right? But you also have to do it within reason. And if you're going to spend, you want to make sure that you're going to get results. And I, hopefully the Lakers will be willing to spend and hopefully those re results will come. Uh, if you can get any of those wing players, yeah, you definitely have to have to keep an eye on them. Cam Reddish, I wouldn't be willing to pay a ton to go get him, but he, he's worth a flyer for sure. P.J. Washington, Oubre, Vanderbilt, yeah, all great targets. The question is, how much is it going to cost to get them? And when are their teams going to be willing to do a trade? Is Charlotte ready to blow it up right now? They might be. They've been sliding down the standings. Maybe they are. Maybe they are. But if they're not, if they're saying, well, we kind of want to get a sense of what this team is mid-January. Well, then you're waiting. You're playing the waiting game. And that's what a lot of teams are doing right now. That's part of the um, ripple effect of the play-in tournament is it means more teams are looking at themselves saying, well, you know, we're not that far out of that play-in spot. Let's hang on a little bit longer and see if we can get there. And so that means less teams are willing to do deals right now. Could be the case with the Hornets. The Knicks, what we've heard as far as Cam Reddish goes, they're trying to attach Evan Fournier, who's under contract next year too, to Cam Reddish, use Reddish as a sweetener to convince some team to take Fournier's next year's salary on the books, which is just under 20 million. That's a, a problem. If I'm the Lakers, I'm, I'm probably not willing to do that. Not to mention the amount of salary you're talking about Patrick Beverly, Kendrick Nunn, plus maybe a better minimum. And you're still absorbing extra salary this year, plus taking on salary for next year in order to get there on that kind of a deal. That becomes really challenging. That becomes something where you'd almost be not even almost, you'd probably be asking the Knicks to send back something. Maybe it's just a, a second rounder or something like that. But again, that goes back to don't get fleeced in a trade. If it, like if it comes through Evan Fournier, Cam Reddish for Patrick Beverly, Kendrick Nunn, and a minimum salary, and the Lakers are giving up two seconds in the deal or something, that, that's just, that will be not super surprising, but unfortunate because you shouldn't have to if you're taking on an extra 25 million total say off the top of my head in salaries the extra year of 20 million of, of Edmund Fournier plus the added salary you'd be taking on for this season plus the luxury tax payments you'd be paying on the, the contract for this year if you're taking on that kind of salary you should be getting stuff back and not having to actually pay um, that was also my thought when the Lakers executed the Russell Westbrook trade I went wait why why are the Lakers the team giving up a first year when they're the team taking on Russell Westbrook, they should be getting a first in this deal, or at the very least, maybe moving up, right? Moving up from, I think it was 21 to the pick they could have moved up to was like 16 or something. Like there should have been some value coming back. No, no, no. It's the Lakers just giving up a first in this deal. In addition to KCP, Kuzma, Montrezl Harrell, didn't make sense at the time from a value perspective. And that's part of why I keep throwing in for the Lakers with them. Whatever deal you do, don't get fleeced. 
don't lose the trade on the margins. And maybe I'm asking too much, but you got to find a way to win some deals. Kevin Duran said, Hey, Trevor and Lakers nation. Do you trade Westbrook without a pick for Fournier, Randall and Reddish? Knicks would clear cap space. Oh my. See, this is how you know that, that you're getting my genuine reaction on these. And I'm not, I'm not pre like, I don't have these pre-planned. Wow. So if you do that, oh man, that's a lot. Like talent wise, that's a lot of talent, right? That you're, that you're bringing in with Randall Reddish is young. Fournier can shoot a little bit. He's out of the rotation for the Knicks, but you're taking on his extra year of salary. Russell Westbrook, no picks for those players. Kyle Kuzma fits better than Randall does. And you know you're going to have to pay Kuzma. But Kuzma's ability to shoot the three matters. Um, if Kuzma's not willing to pay to play, doesn't want to play behind LeBron and AD, I think you could sell him on the idea that, hey, we're going to go bigger. We're going to stick with AD at the five and you're going to be the four and LeBron's going to be the three or vice versa, right? We're going to play all three of you guys together a lot. It's not going to be you playing behind them. I think you can sell them on that. Sell them on that. I don't know if you can get away with playing Randall, AD, and LeBron a ton of minutes at the same time. And if you're not totally sold, that's really what this would come down to. Really, that's what this would come down to. Because if you are not totally sold on Randall, LeBron, and AD all being able to play together, Julius Randle this season makes $24 million. Next season, $25.6 million. Season after that, I'm up to 2024, 2025, $27.5 million. The 2025-26 season, he has a player option, a player option for $29.4 million. Now, our old friend Julius Randle is 28 as of right now, just turned 28. Happy birthday at the end of November. Averaging 22, 8, and 4 this season. Shooting 46% from the field, 34% from three. 34% from three actually might be good enough to keep defenses honest. It really does all come down to, do you think LeBron, AD, and Randall could play together at the same time? If the answer is yes, I'd be fairly tempted to take this. But you also have to keep in mind that you would lose your cap space for the for next summer. You wouldn't have any cap room to go play with next summer, which means you can't go add free agents. Um, you could retain maybe Lonnie Walker if you want to use your mid-level exception on him. You could use some, some early bird rights to keep uh, Austin Reeves. So that's going to be part of the value tier too, is you'd be losing your cap room for next year to play around with. So you'd have to be very convinced that this is the move that's going to put you over the top. I don't know if it does. You have more depth if you do this, but does this really bring you into championship contention because you'd be sacrificing your future cap space as well? And you'd still have your picks. This is a great question. This is a great question. Lakers Nation fans, let me know. What would you guys do? Let me know in the comment section. Would you do that trade? Evan Fournier, Randall, and Reddish. And again, Reddish, you're going to have to pay this summer. He's, he's on an expiring contract. Fournier has two years left on his deal. You got to pay him $20 million next year. And Randall has three, four years under contract after this. Four years total, including this year, under contract for Randall. I'm tempted because that's that's talent, that's depth that would be coming back. 
but I'm also a longstanding resident of Randall Island. I was a believer of his early. I may be biased in this one because it's Randall. So Lakers Nation, let me know in the comment section, would you do that deal? Would you do that deal over on the YouTube channel? Go ahead and comment. Would you take that trade? Russell Westbrook, no picks involved. I don't even know what the Knicks would do with no picks. But Russ, no picks. You're clearing all of that salary off the Knicks books. Fournier, Randall, and Reddish. Let me know your thoughts. Manny James, Trev, give me your all top all-time Lakers starting five. Um, I guess the question is, do you mean all-time starting five as in pick five players from any point in Lakers history or the best starting five the Lakers ever had that really was on the floor together? Uh, let's do both. So I think I would have to take the 2001 playoffs uh, starting five because that team had such a great playoff run. That was a good one uh, with D Fish and Kobe. What was that? Rick Fox. Uh, you had Glenn Rice was gone then. Was that the Horse Grant year? I think that was the Horse Grant. And Shaq would have been your group at that point. And they were, that team just clicked for the playoff run. That was really good. Uh, all time starting five, though, if I were to just pick players. I mean, that's the this is the crazy thing about the Lakers. You look at their history; they've had so many great players. Obviously, Magic Johnson and Kobe are your one and your two. Um, there's no question there. Uh, you you got to put LeBron at your three. I'm going to assume you can get everybody's prime years. So I'm going to go LeBron at the three, and just give me the super size lineup. Give me <laughs> it's crazy, but give me Shaq and Kareem. And just steamroll everybody with with dominant size. I mean, the smallest person on that floor is Kobe, who's six seven. That's the smallest player on the floor for you with that group. Whew. That's crazy. That's crazy. So that those will be my picks. SoCal Golf. LeBron's contract looking like Russell Wilson's. Oh, come on. That's that's going a bit too. Like Russell Wilson has been all kinds of bad this year. And the contract that the Broncos gave him is looking really bad at this. I mean, Geno Smith has been significantly better than Russell Wilson this season. And the Seahawks got stuff for sending Russ to, to the Broncos. Um, yeah, that, that has not worked out well at all for them. That's not what LeBron's been. LeBron has had games where he's looked really good. LeBron's had games where he's won the game for the Lakers. I don't think we've seen many good moments at all. For, for Russell Wilson. So that's, to me, that that's going too far. Nick T, uh, why is Ham still starting Beverly and Schroeder together? Apparently that's going to stay for a little bit, sounds like. I think he likes Beverly's defensive intensity. But remember too, we, we kept hearing those rumblings like, oh no, you know, Patrick Beverly, he's going to be a wing for us. I don't know what it, it's like. The Lakers, they look at Patrick Beverly and they see him as though he's six inches taller than he actually is. I don't know why, but... They just, they do. I don't know if they've got the, the guard beer goggles on or something. They look at him, they see him and he's, and he's just, he's way taller than he actually is, but they think that he's a wing. They count him as a wing on their roster. And it's just not, I mean, and I'm not saying that's Pat's fault. It's not, um, but they try to use him that way. So I think when we see Schroeder and Patrick Beverly on the floor together, most of, most of us say, oh my gosh, that's way too small of a lineup. The Lakers, and part of this might be out of necessity, but they go, oh yeah, that that's Schroeder and a wing, not that's it's a point guard and a wing, not two guards on the floor. 
uh, again, part of that is the roster build and just the number of guards are on the roster and the lack of wings. And all that. so I think some of it's out of necessity, but Beverly and Schroeder together, I, I'm not a huge fan of it, but again, your, your alternative would be what go to go to Austin. Right. And I'd be in favor of that. Go to Austin Reeves and make him your two. Yeah. I'm, I'm good with that, but you still need, you need some bigger wings that you can put out there. And ultimately I think they're going to need a trade. Uh, Taekwon said lineups down the stretch were trash. Uh, this, the, the crunch time lineups were not great. And I thought once things really started to look, the Lakers just looked completely confused in overtime in terms of what they were trying to do on offense. It was like they didn't know what they were trying to do. Um, that's when changes needed to be made, if not even earlier in the in the fourth quarter. Um, so that was frustrating for sure. Uh, MB said, as much as I love Russ and his energy, we need to trade him ASAP. The team construction is a disaster. We know he doesn't fit. Even if he plays better, this team screams for a trade and he's the only valuable asset. Well, his expiring contract might have some value to a team. I still don't know how many teams are looking at Russ and saying, and he's played better and give him credit. He's come off the bench. He's played better overall in the season. I don't know how many teams are looking at Russ right now, though, and saying, we want to play him. Trade him to us because we want to put him on the floor. We think he's going to make our team better. I don't know how many teams are saying that. Um, the longer he plays well, the more might talk themselves into it. But we've seen a dip recently from Russ. Uh, the shooting is is falling off. So there's some concerns there. Um, yeah, look, here's the thing. I think the Lakers actually need Russ's playmaking. I think his ability to get to the rim has actually been important. His ability to get shots for other people. That's been one of the areas that's been really good is he's generating a lot of assists, a lot of assists by driving and kicking. And there isn't a natural replacement for that on the roster that has Russ's level of athleticism to get into the paint. Austin Reeves is a very natural, instinctive passer, but I don't like if Russ suddenly went away, I don't know if you could just hand the ball to Austin and say, here, go create 15 plus shots a night for other players. I don't know if Austin's ready to take on that role just yet, or if it's that's even fair to ask him to do. So that's one thing you have to consider when you're moving Russ is that he does provide something valuable to this team. That being said, big picture, he also doesn't fit with LeBron still. There's nothing that changes that. Not a great defender, not a great outside shooter. Those are the two things that you need in order to fit with LeBron more than anything else. So if there's a deal that comes along and you can get some shooting, yeah, you still got to consider it. And you may unlock this roster somewhat if you move him and you get back pieces that really fit. We're just not in the situation we were, we were in over the summer where the thought process was, if you move him for anything positive, that's an improvement because he's not going to be a positive. Well, now he's shown us that he can do some positive things for the Lakers, but if you, if you can get some positives that fit better, that's where you can really advance the team. Dre Johnson, do you think Mark Cuban would trade us back JaVale? Probably, yeah. I mean, look, JaVale McGee has not been playing much for the Mavs. He hasn't been playing very many minutes. Um, coming in, we thought that he was going to be a starter for the Mavs. As of this moment, JaVale McGee, he's averaging just under nine minutes per game for the Mavs. He started seven games of the 16 he's appeared in, 2.5 rebounds and 0.6 blocks in just under nine minutes per game. I would imagine the Mavs would be more than okay with trading away JaVale McGee right now. Um, 
I think he's got three years. They gave him three years under contract. So Vail McGee, $5.4 million this year, $5.7 next year, $6 million the season after that. I think the Mavs would have to give up something to move JaVale. I mentioned JaVale on the live postgame show. Simply, not specifically saying the Lakers should target JaVale, but just that type of big who really thrives as a rim protector. JaVale's 34 now. Um, yeah, in fact, I mean, he's going to be 35 in January and still has two years left under contract. So JaVale McGee specifically wouldn't be a target for me. I wouldn't be taking on those extra years of salary. I would imagine the Mavs would be more than happy to move off that salary if they could. Um, that would not be the guy I'd be going after. But in terms of hit that skill set, if you could find a younger version of that, um, whether you want to talk, I don't know, Nerlens Noel or, or somebody like that, sure, right? But that type of skill set, just to provide the rim protection when AD is off the floor, that wouldn't be a bad idea to go find something like that if you're the Lakers. Miles Turner can obviously provide that, but at a much higher price tag. But if you can get somebody who can just be a rim protector for you um, off the bench, that, that could prevent what we've been seeing happen where anytime AD comes off the floor right now, opposing teams just go to the basket almost every single time. And they're either collapsing the defense a ton and then they're getting open looks or they're just scoring over the Lakers because they have nobody else who can really block shots right now. Uh, Nick Taylor said, to be honest, Dennis Schroeder and LeBron lost the game. I don't know if I can go that far. Schroeder only played, what, 21 minutes. So LeBron didn't have one of his best games, no question, against the 76ers. He's had better nights, though. I'm hoping for a bounce back from LeBron against the Pistons. MB, to finish things off, says, we played well against one of the best teams in the NBA, regardless of their record and in their hometown. Impressed by the comeback, we fell short on execution due to team construction and rotations. I mean, that's a pretty good summary. Now, I will say the 76ers haven't been great lately. They had just lost to the Houston Rockets. That played a part, though. They were fired up because of that loss. Um, but they also were missing Tyrese Maxey, so they weren't 100%. They weren't whole in terms of their rotation. Maxey is very good. Um, it was potentially an epic win for the Lakers. Uh, one Anthony Davis missed free throw away from, from winning that game. But... I do think you're correct in terms of team construction is holding them back a bit here from picking up some wins. Just the overall makeup of the roster in terms of we we're talking about all show too many guards, not enough wings um, at all. And then the rotations. Yeah, you can definitely criticize the rotations in this one as well, but a pretty good summation there. All right, let's wrap things up with that. Hopefully the Lakers can get back to 500 on the road trip, get the win over the Pistons today. And then move forward from there. And let's see what they can do. Tuesday got a matchup with the Celtics. That's going to be tough. They've been crushing people. But can the Lakers continue to play 500 basketball through the month of December and hopefully get a deal done sooner rather than later? Lakers Nation, give me your thoughts in the comments down below. Till next time, see ya and stay safe.